Welcome to the Witches and Wine audio experience. mentioned voodoo a lot so I know that you're initiated into a voodoo tradition which I think a lot of people are going to be like what <laughs> right because when yeah. we think about voodoo we think about Haiti we think about the new yeah, world you don't think about a white British girl with, with right. blonde hair no <laughs> right especially like if yeah. we're thinking if it is a white person maybe an American who maybe has some ancestors back in the day I think a lot of people will be like how did this even happen did you read a book and decide yeah. that this sounds cool or what happened? No, um, there's, there's kind of a fuzzy memory of how it all started. At some point, goodness knows when, what, maybe 11, 12 years ago, I met some people who at the same time as I did, without having discussed it or without having mentioned it, started getting things like dreams or experiences that involved a spirit called Baron Samadhi. And it all kind of started happening at the same time to us, again, independently. And we started going, hey, what, what's going on here? So we looked into it more and we discovered more about the voodoo tradition and about the spirit that had started turning up. And we started researching more. We did some stupid things, trying to piece together how to practice voodoo, like it's not it's not very accessible um right and after a few years one of us made contact with um a voodoo house in america Societe Gardin Uleve, uh which is run by hungan hector salva and she went over there she visited um and she initiated and after a while we kind of followed we we all met the the house and him and learn more about how to actually practice the tradition and eventually all initiated as well and then voodoo in my part of the world just got really big suddenly it was like there was an explosion in wales um where which is where i am Why? of voodoo i think possibly because people became aware of it because we started practicing and one thing we discovered about the voodoo spirits is that they really don't give a shit about ge geography or about blood they don't care where you come from. They don't care what color your skin is. If they want you, they want you. And they make it very clearly known. So a lot of people would come to us, find us and say, I've had some really, really weird experiences with this spirit. Can you, can you offer me some guidance? So we ended up having quite a big group in Cardiff, Wales, um, which would meet on a regular basis to do fets, which is ceremonies, to serve the spirits, um, to celebrate their various holidays why did the spirits decide that they were going to you know chill with a, a group of people in wales i have a theory um uh -huh. so i have a theory particularly with people like people spirits like baron samadhi they like procreating let's put it that way uh baron samadhi is he is a spirit of, of the dead but he's also a spirit of life and about new life and that's why i think he in particular appears to 
people who haven't been raised in the tradition and kind of drags them in and says, no, you're mine now. I think these spirits have objective wants and desires and, and existence. And I think that there is quite a big mixing of blood and of geography throughout the world. So there is always some way for them to link with you no matter where you are in the world. Um, I don't know if you've read American Gods by Neil Gaiman. The idea of American Gods is that all of the gods, all the things that people have believed in and have come to America believing in are real. And that belief has brought them to America. So there's this idea that people bring spirits with them when they travel, when they settle somewhere. And I think that that's happened a lot with, with the voodoo spirits. You know, Britain is not just white. It's not just European. We have a massive, beautiful melting pot of cultures in Britain, particularly in London, for instance. All sorts of people have come here and brought their language and their religion and their spirits with them. So you do get quite a thriving community, particularly in London, um, who worship these spirits, who serve these spirits, the spirits of voodoo, candle, Santeria, um, all, all of these spirits that you would usually traditionally place in places like um, Haiti, Puerto Rico, the Dominican Republic. I think they come to you because they know you're the type of person that will work with them. So yeah, it was a bit of a bit of a journey, a bit of a weird, a weird calling. You mentioned that in the beginning you guys were trying to figure it out, and then you yeah. mentioned that you guys went to a are they is it pronounced Hongan? Hogan? Hongan, Hongan, yeah, Hongan. Priest. Hongan. priest. The female would be Mambo, priestess. For audience members who are just like, oh, I'm going to go on, become a living god and order the books about voodoo, how come that's not enough? Okay, so um, it might sound weird to a lot of people working in a Western pagan tradition that priests and priestesses are important um, because we are we are so used to books telling us we can do what we want and as long as it feels right, then we should do it. Yeah. But in voodoo, there is a very long and ancient tradition of how these spirits are worked with. And it is a very complex tradition because it's so ancient, because it's so, so alive in a way. Um, and we've also got to remember that this this is a this is a, this is a tradition which is steeped in a very complicated and oppressive history. So we need to respect that. We need to be very aware that in this case, we are definitely walking on the bones of ancestors and they're not all our own ancestors. And we need to be very, very respectful of that. So in voodoo, the spirits are very powerful. They're very alive um, and they have very specific ways of working with them, Sp specific ways of working with them properly to get the best results, I think you could say. So Hongans and Mambos have that knowledge to teach you and to guide you in the right way. As I said earlier, it's it's quite an inaccessible tradition. If you're particularly in a country like the UK, um, there are a lot of terrible, terrible books, terrible, terrible websites on it with very, very bad guidance. And it's very easy to find the wrong type of guidance. There's, there's a lot of people who want to just take your money and teach you rubbish. So Hungans and Mambos not only have the knowledge, they have the right knowledge, they can guide you in the right direction, they can also offer you the initiations. Now initiation is not a necessity in voodoo, but it kind of changes the way you're expected to work with these spirits. It gives you extra responsibilities, but also helps you strengthen and deepen the relationship with the spirits. In, in voodoo, there is an initiatory lineage and it's something that people are very proud of. You know, you, you proudly proclaim who your initiator was and, and your house because they are your spiritual parents and your spiritual family. When you initiate into voodoo, when you join a house or a, a societe, as they're called, a society, 
you are joining a family and you treat them like family. It's more difficult for those of us who are split across oceans between our, us and our spiritual family. But there is always that honor and respect that you have for your spiritual family. Um, and the person who initiates you, the Hungan or Mambo that initiates you, has some sort of responsibility for your spiritual growth and welfare. So when you connect with a priest or priestess in the voodoo tradition, you're also getting that that um, that paternal or maternal guidance, which is unfortunately missing from so many modern pagan traditions. You know, we are left to flounder in the dark um, and piece it together for ourselves. But in voodoo, you're given that wisdom, you're given that guidance um, and all that knowledge. Actually, yeah. one of the things that I noticed was um, speaking about being rigorous and stuff, like your the essay that you wrote for Conjure Codex, um, where you were looking at the, the necromantic traditions of both voodoo and the Greco-Roman world. Um, yeah, the bibliography for that was very long. I appreciated that. And I was looking through Good. it and I was like, <laughs> yeah. Um, I was looking through that essay. I mean, I took tons of notes and highlights because, again, I didn't really know much about necromancy. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, what an interesting perspective you have. Because, again, you're able to compare sort of like the old world and new world and seeing so many similarities that kind of, you know, like uh, transcend the, the physical boundaries and also biological boundaries, like the phys mm. like physical as in like the body. Um, by the way, is there a place where people, if they're interested, they can get that essay? Um, yes. So it's, it's in the Kunja Codex. So you can actually buy it on Amazon, the, the uh -huh. Kunja Codex. And it's got some amazing essays in it alongside my own. Um, very much working in a, a spirit conjuring tradition. So anyone that's interested in not only necromancy, but working with spirits, with conjuring, um, that kind of thing would find it really interesting, a really interesting book to read. It was from this essay, which I thought would be a perfect read for Halloween because it is talking about necromancy and not not just about like the warm and fuzzy, but also about the things we were talking about, the conjuring of angry spirits, but not just from like the, the ancient world. We're also talking about how you would do it from a more voodoo tradition. What are some ways that voodoo's a little bit different? I think voodoo is, we need to be careful about differentiating between hoodoo and voodoo. Oh, okay. Hoodoo is more of the magical side of it um, and isn't necessarily linked with a religious practice, whereas voodoo is much more of the religion, um, although it's still magical. So um, are you talking about hoodoo or voodoo? Then I guess it would be Or hoodoo. both. Both, hoodoo. yes. Okay. Hoodoo, I think hoodoo works on a lot of the same principles as the ancient Greek and Roman um, necromancy. It it still works a lot with the concept of the angry dead. Um, it still works a lot with the idea that you can anger and raise those spirits and send them after people. Um, it also works on the basis of giving offerings. A lot of the ancient Greek and Roman um, practices involve giving funerary offerings, um, giving the spirits blood, giving them fire, giving them food and drink and wine, that kind of thing. Um, and the, the, both traditions often work by going to a place of death, such as a graveyard or a cemetery, to work with the spirits of the dead. Um, this is why I, one of the reasons I think that there's such a there's possibly a historical link between the two, because some of the techniques are so similar in hoodoo. However, there's the, the actual tools themselves are very much from a voodoo tradition. Um, mm. 
So down, down to the physical tools, such as things like Florida water, which is a, a kind of cologne, which is highly flammable, that's often used as a sac- kind of sacred water, holy water, um, sprinkled or set on fire in various um, vessels. You get more use of alcohol, I think, in, in hoodoo as well. Things like rum, which are used in a great number of different ways, from cleansing to blessing to again, being involved in a flammable liquid. I think you also get more more music and song and dance in hoodoo because voodoo is very much a tradition of song and dance. You call the spirits by singing and dancing for them. And there are sacred songs for each of the spirits um, and sacred dances as well. There's very specific dances for different types of spirit. So I think that's utilized more in hoodoo, but you don't really get a mention of it at all in the ancient Greek and Roman world. Dance and song was just not used. Um, The closest we have to it being used would be theurgic texts where you invoke a deity into yourself and that uses the in, the intoning of sacred names but it's it's not song it's not dance it's not lyrics that you're putting into music it's it's very very different so i think the differences in hoodoo have developed from voodoo um, and developed specifically because of the physical tools that are available to them i think also perhaps um, or the rocks from around that grave having a link to that spirit. Well, you know, so I think most that. people, when they think about hoodoo, or most people, I think they kind of conflate hoodoo and voodoo together, they think automatically of necromantic curses. You know, like, that's the first thing, maybe because of Hollywood or whatever. It's always like the graveyard dirt. It's like taking the voodoo doll and, like, putting, like, the, the nail through it. Is that what voodoo is? Is that what hoodoo is, mainly? Not really, no. I mean... <laughs> They do use things like that in hoodoo and in all sorts of magic uses voodoo dolls. It's not it's not a voodoo thing. We call them voodoo dolls because that's what Hollywood told us they were. But voodoo dolls are used in ancient Greece and Rome. They're used in ancient Mesopotamia, you know, two, two three thousand years before um, before the common era. They were being used in ancient Mesopotamia. So we say voodoo dolls, but they're, they're not. I think in hoodoo, there's a lot less necromancy than people think and there's a lot less cursing with the dead there's more there's a lot more control magic a lot of it is to do with people who want to control the will of another person often make this person fall in love with me death and love two big things in our lives (laughs) there's an old joke that you should never eat um eat something with red sauce made by a a hoodoo woman (laughs) um because Yeah, um, so the idea is that she could put her own menstrual blood into your food and in doing so cause you to fall in love with her in a way that you just can't control yourself. Um, and there's there's things like they say you should never give your hairbrush to someone because they can take your hair or never leave your underwear lying around because they can take the fluids from that. It's like, ooh. Um, so there's a lot more of, of that kind of controlling the will, I think, in, in hoodoo than in, in ancient Greece and Rome um, but the sympathetic magic is still the same how about ancestral that, veneration is that big in hoodoo and voodoo massive in voodoo one of the things that I was taught is an absolute foundation of, of voodoo is ancestor work you're working with spirits that are intimately connected with you and intricately connected with you as well you often have a very complicated and complex relationship with your ancestors they are 
more likely to work with you because they have a vested interest in your survival because your survival is their blood surviving their their genes surviving their their spiritual influence surviving so it's kind of the foundation and baby steps of voodoo is is working with your ancestors and it also i think creates the right mindset for voodoo that that respect that honor that learning where you've come from that finding your it's going to sound so cliched authentic self <laughs> um working out where you've come from really and accepting that so if bloodline uh, yeah. and your genetics and your dna are so important then i can imagine that there's a lot of people who are initiated in voodoo who are just like well unless you have haitian blood or you have certain dna then you can't really practice this as well as somebody who has that dna is there yeah. truth in that possibly I wouldn't know. Uh, <laughs> I've never been a Haitian person, so I don't have that way to compare. Obviously, anyone who's been raised in the tradition um, who lives in somewhere like Haiti or, or the Dominican Republic is going to have an easier time of it than someone like me because I haven't been raised in the tradition. I had to discover it from scratch. I don't have it inbuilt in the back of my mind from when I was a child. It's something I, I very much discovered. I am a convert rather than being raised in it. Mm. So... Yes, I think there is some truth in that you don't have that ingrained background in it. Um, and I do understand and respect the argument that only people with that blood or with that ancestry can work in this tradition. Um, I don't agree with it, but I respect it because, as I said before, there is a very, very dark and oppressive and complex history in voodoo. And, and in all the African diaspora religions. So I understand why a white European coming into the tradition is very difficult and will be seen by some people as very disrespectful. But I hope, I hope that what I do is respectful. I think it is. I think that initiating into it kind of showed my intentions and respect for it rather than being seen as stealing it. I don't, I don't mix voodoo with any other tradition. When I do voodoo, I do voodoo. I'm not eclectic about it or anything. I don't do it in a Wiccan way. I don't do it in a witchcraft way. I don't, you know, call the quarters while invoking, you know, voodoo spirits. That would be really silly. I work in a voodoo way when I do voodoo. Um, what do you do voodoo for or hoodoo? I do voodoo more than hoodoo because, you know, hoodoo for me is about results magic. And luckily, I, I don't really need to do results magic. Um, so for me, I, I do voodoo because of that relationship with the spirits it's it's like having friends and family, but they're on an invisible level, I guess. I do voodoo because these spirits are an intrinsic part of my life now. Um, and in voodoo, we have this idea that these spirits walk with you. We have a court of spirits that walk with us. They support us. They give us strength. They give us guidance. Um, they point us in the right direction. Um, they They aid us. And they also help inform our spiritual growth. So in serving these spirits and doing voodoo, we are helping our own spirits become bigger, greater, closer to the light, I guess you can call it, more illuminated. We're also calling upon the wisdom of those spirits. A lot of people that do voodoo find that they have very real results. They, they are guided by these spirits in the right direction. They get, they get the things that they ask for, um, possibly because these spirits are so big they're so powerful they are still served by 
a wide range of people around the world. It's not some resurrected tradition. It is a real living tradition and has never stopped being a real and living tradition. Part of it for me is because it's such a beautiful tradition, um, which I think is odd for people who first hear the word voodoo. They think of scary things. Dark, <laughs> dark things in dark forests and um, scary things and skeletons dancing or something. And it's, it's not like that at all. It, it's, it's a religion of, of beauty, of song, of dance, of colour, um, of amazing food offerings of massive shrines to beautiful spirits and there's also I think there's a link for Europeans in voodoo because a lot of the spirits are syncretized or um, kind of subsumed or connected with um, spirits from Catholicism saints Mm. so for instance in Dominican voodoo there's a spirit called Anaisa Pie. Anaisa is a beautiful spirit of, of life and love and the finest things in life and dancing um, and luxury and beauty. Um, and she is um, often represented by an image of St. Anne, um, the mother of the Virgin Mary. Sometimes she's the Virgin Mary. Sometimes she's her mother. It depends on which Anaisa you're, you're working with. Um, so you'll see a lot of a lot of her shrines are covered with images of St. Anne and and all the colours are gold and beautiful and diamonds. And she's given Corona beer, for instance, to drink. And she said yep. when when she comes into possession, she dances and she flirts um, and she drinks her beer and she smokes her cigarettes and she gives advice and she gives blessings to people. So there is this inherent beauty which I'm drawn to in voodoo that I don't think I would find anywhere else. You mentioned how if you work with the spirits of the dead, of the, the of beloved deceased, that maybe you can help them evolve to become a, what what are they called, the gods? Loire. Loire Loir spirits. Yeah, they're not, they're not gods necessarily, they're spirits. Spirits, or, or like elevated spirits, I guess. Um, yes. So how does that work and what does that exactly mean? helping them evolve to become a Lua? It's giving them, through, uh, through a continued service, giving them the strength to become more powerful spirits. What do you I'm mean not by really powerful? Sure. More able to act in this world, I guess. Uh, more able to influence and help people. I'm not really sure myself how it works. It's quite a new concept to me because I've only just started doing it by working with my father. So I'm still kind of experiencing it myself and from what I understand it can take years and years and years of frequent work I think what happens is sometimes that spirit eventually gets to the point where they will come into possession in in voodoo ceremonies and they might kind of start working on a local level if if you will so they'll start by helping that person and and their closest friends or or people in their in their societe or house um and if they continue to have service from more people because they started working locally, they'll build themselves up. Um, so then their reputation spreads as a spirit who can do the work. So other people start to pick up that spirit and give them offerings. So it's almost like, again, an evangelism in a way Um where the more people serve you, the the stronger you get. Again, it's very American Gods by it Neil is. Gaiman. It's I think he knew some stuff when he was writing that book. <laughs> um, this is a novel concept yeah. to me because for whatever reason, I thought, okay, when somebody dies, either they're dead and that's it, or okay, they're in the spirit world, but it's not like they change. It's not that they evolve. And I think maybe there's a lot of people who believe in that sort of static way of looking at spirit as well. 
Um, like I, I have a friend, he and I were talking about how he prefers like really, really, really old, like the original gods, you know, and he was just like, oh, because they're like the purest form. And I remember us having not exactly a debate, but me being like, well, don't you think they might evolve over time? Are they always going to stay the same? It's a two-way relationship all the time um, in, in voodoo. And, and a lot, in a lot of necromancy, it is a two-way relationship. You form a bond with these spirits and you help them, they help you. You know, it's scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But there's a genuine love there, I think, in a lot of, in a lot of voodoo. Um, there's a genuine feeling of friendship and relationship with these spirits. You're not just calling them up when you need help. You know, you are building up that relationship like, like you would with a friend. You don't just pick up the phone to call your friend when, when you're in trouble. You know, you, you chill out with them and you have coffee because they're your friend and you like being with them. Yeah. Um, and it's exactly the same in voodoo. And, and I think spirits and gods do change. In voodoo, the spirits often change how they appear or, or some of the things they do because of historical events. So I think they, they do change. Um, and you get a lot, of, a lot of spirits like Ursuli Dantor who are called upon by people such as um, people in the LGBT movement who are being oppressed, who are still fighting for their rights. Um, and she becomes a symbol of modern struggles. To say that they don't change, I think, removes some of their application to our lives. They're not, they're not necessarily grand notions of ancient truths. They are fundamental understandings of who we are as people and in that sense, they are applied to our particular struggles, our particular viewpoints, which change. And we clothe them in different ways as they're needed. In this conversation, we've talked about how death is not just the end. And it's just constant evolution that happens after. And how, yes, like, you know, these beloved deceased, they can be nurtured by us in this world and helping them ascend, even in death. Mm -hmm the way that they help us ascend up the, I guess, the Maslow's hierarchy. Yeah, perhaps, yeah. <laughs> I think it's really important that we engage in some way with death, whether that be through magic or, or just through um, reading about the death process or about familiarizing ourselves with what happens after we die um, on a very basic fundamental level of, well, who takes my body? How is my body prepared? What happens when I when I rot, what happens when I'm cremated, um, what happens to my family, who, who signs the paperwork. Um, I'm, I'm a member of something called the Order of the Good Death, which is an organization which um, encourages awareness of death in all its aspects. Um, and part of being a member of the Order of the Good Death is being prepared for your own death and having things in place that mean that when you do die, if it's sudden or not, your family is left with a very clear understanding of, of what you wanted and they don't have to worry about that when they're grieving. It's also about coming to terms with the fact you are going to die um, and everything that happens is part and parcel of that and coming to terms with grief and loss when you lose somebody. So I think it's absolutely fundamental for us on some level to engage with that because if nothing else, you're helping those you leave behind and you know, you're also helping yourself to come to terms with something that is inherently terrifying. We all need to, in some way, face that and make ourselves open to death, whether that be through serving the spirits of the dead, serving our beloved dead, working in the graveyard, doing something even more taboo, like becoming an agori and going to live. 
They eat leftovers from human dead bodies. They drink in a bowl made of human skull. And they wear ash from a human pyre. Become familiar with death and become a friend of it. That's, that's what it's all about for me. So Kim, I always ask my guests to think of three songs that represent your magic. And I guess today we're talking about voodoo, uh, venerating ancestors, uh, necromantic magic. So what are three songs that represent you as a magician? It's really hard. Um, I'm not one of those people that can pick a song out of the air. So for me, it's more a type of song, I think. Um, so firstly, anything, this is going to sound really weird, anything by Johnny Cash. <laughs> I love Johnny um, Cash. San Quentin, I hate every inch of you. You cut me and you scarred me through and through. I love Johnny Cash. Yeah, he's, he was my first love when it comes to music. Um, my father raised me listening to Johnny Cash. There's also a kind of spirituality to a lot of Johnny Cash music that is down to earth, very grounded, and it is based in, in roots of where we come from. A lot of my, my work with the dead is encapsulated in Johnny Cash music <laughs> um, because of my family ties to it. What else? Um, sea shanties. Oh, first I met a Yankee girl and she was fat and lazy. Tell me, way all the way, well, all the way, Joe. Uh, I don't know if you've heard many sea shanties or are familiar with sea shanty traditions. Um, no, not at all. What are but they? So they're very, very, um, very familiar to a lot of uh, British people. Sea shanties were working songs that were sung by people on the boats and ships that would go out fishing, whaling, that kind of thing. Um, any sort of sailor, sailing profession would have sea shanties. And they often were used to keep time when you're rowing, to keep time when you're hauling up the nets, um, coming into port, that kind of thing. They're songs that weren't written down. They were an oral tradition that nevertheless survived for centuries and centuries and are still being sung today. Um, and the nature of sea shanties is that there is a call and response mechanism. You have um, the first person, usually the leader of, of the work team, singing a verse. And then each person in turn will either respond or they'll create their own verse as they go. So it's it represents to me the fact that my magic is working magic. It's not. Yes, it's founded in academia in theory, but it is magic that I put to work. It's magic I do. It's magic that um, is hard work a lot of the time, but it's necessary work. Um, and it's also a mixture of old tradition with innovation. This creation of a, of a verse by each person on the fly is beautiful and innovative and creative. And that is what I think magic should be. It should be a mixture of ancient tradition, understanding and wisdom with our own input. It, magic doesn't stop being created. It doesn't stop growing or developing. Um, and we have the ability to influence it and change it um, and add something new to it. There is one specific song, actually, um, yes. from the voodoo tradition. kind of comes with a story. When I first got into this tradition, in, into voodoo, we learned a song called Gede Via, Gede is life. Again, the Gede spirits are the spirits of death. And we sing this song. And it was quite a popular song in our, in our fets, in our services. We would always sing it to call upon the Gede spirits. And we picked it up from, uh, I think, a modern CD of voodoo music by a band called Ram, R-A-M. 
and they're quite well known in the, in the voodoo scene, beautiful music. And we just kept singing it and really thought nothing of where it come from. And then several years ago, I got a gift of a box set of recordings from the 1920s from Haiti um, by a folklorist musician called Alan Lomax. I think it's Alan Lomax. I'll have to check that. <laughs> um, and he, he basically went to Haiti and spent ages and ages years recording various songs that were either part of Haitian tradition or folklore or voodoo religion. And I'm listening to, this, to these songs. There's several CDs of them. And then I hear this woman, um, this voodoo, uh, I think she's uh, Hunsi, which is one of the lower the lower initiation levels of voodoo. She's a, a song singer in voodoo. And then she starts singing this song, Gede Vie, that we are, we've been singing in the modern world and we got from a completely different source. And it's very, very slightly different lyrics, but the tune is exactly the same. And there, there was a sudden realization that there was this connection there between what we're doing in the modern world and what they were doing in the 1920s in Haiti and how this, this tradition has survived despite so much difficulty and oppression, it has survived beyond all the odds. Um, and it's been carried across the world, again, despite all the odds. A beautiful reminder of what we owe to those people who have come before us in our magical traditions um, and reminds us that we are still working in living traditions. And in, in doing so, we're working to keep them alive. Just as we do with our dead, we are working to keep their memory alive. And that reminds me of how in your essay for Conjure Codex, you were talking about how voodoo, yeah, it is still a living tradition, but not many people talk about it versus so many Greco-Roman uh, or Greco-Egyptian uh, uh, mm. magicians that wrote about their magic. And so we have that, yes. but it's been interrupted, you know, that, that magic tradition. Yes. So yes. it's kind of like this strange sort of, here it's still living, but more occult and secretive. This one mm. is interrupted, but there's so much more to draw on. Yeah. And yeah. again, guys, if you want to read this essay, I'll put the link down below to the actual, is it a book or a magazine? Conjure it's a book. It's, it's, it's kind of an anthology of papers on the subject. So yeah. About yeah. conjurations. And I will mm -hmm. put down the rest of Kim's websites. Uh, and also, as I mentioned somewhere in the beginning, uh, she's actually a renowned tarot <laughs> reader. So her books on tarot, actually, I think that's what Lonnie told me about. The light's coming down. It's feeling, you know, a little bit more sort of uh, nighttime-ish, a little bit more necromantic and feel right now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I guess I could talk to you for hours and hours about this. I mean, this is so fascinating. We're kind of walking on the same street as the dead. It's yeah. just that we're a little bit further apart than we would have been in life, but we're walking the same road. They're right by us. They're right with us. I think we can all think of somebody in our life, whether it's family, friends, or as you mentioned before, animal companions mm -hmm. that we've had. Yeah. Um, people that, or animals that we've loved to pass on, but they're not really gone. And you can still remember them. And by remembering them and honoring them, you're helping them. So that, that to me is just absolutely lovely. It's really beautiful. And Kim, mm -hmm. thank you so much for spending all this time talking to me about necromancy and voodoo. Well, it's been really, really fun. Thank you. It's, it's always nice to talk about these things and help people see that it's not just dark, weird stuff in graveyards. You know, there's, there is this wonderful tradition behind it. So, yeah, I hope I've helped some people. I'm
Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to the Witches and Wine audio experience. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting me on Patreon. You can choose between a few membership tiers. They're super affordable and flexible. Your membership helps me continue making videos, podcasts, articles, lots of different things about all the sweet witchy stuff. Links are in the show notes. Also, don't forget to go on iTunes and give this a five-star rating. Each five-star rating helps rank this podcast higher in searches so that as many witches can find and enjoy these episodes as well. Until next time, this is Chawan signing off.